Uh, hello and welcome everybody to the Southern Souls podcast. Uh, my name is Aaron Goldstein, a longtime listener, first time host. Uh, coming to you today from my studio uh, where I operate. Uh, it's called Baldwin Street Sound. We're in downtown Toronto. And uh, my guest today is Kaya Cater. Hello, Kaya. Hello, Aaron. <laughs> How are you doing? I'm good. Right yeah. on, right on. How are you? Uh, great, thanks. It's nice to uh, <laughs> it's nice to see you. Um, full disclosure, we should we should mention that um, you have a new record that was made here, and uh, I got the chance to work on it a little bit, which was great. I was stoked about that. Yeah, uh, so we know each other a little bit. But yeah, um, uh, yeah great to have you here on the uh, podcast. Um, this is this is episode of an indeterminate number. We think uh, we're not sure what number. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyway, yeah, great to have you. Um, so you have this new record coming out, but uh, we'll get to that in a minute. Um, uh, some of your press uh, indicated that you have a family connection to folk music. Can you can you uh, give us some further insight into that? Yeah, sure. Um, so my, I guess it starts with my grandfather. He um, his name is Wolfgang Cater. And uh, he uh, is originally from uh, Germany, emigrated to Montreal after uh, the Second World War. And uh, he uh, was really interested in in building things and originally went to McGill for architecture, um, but then decided that that really wasn't his calling or his thing. And so he kind of convinced the the dean to let him pursue a kind of self-driven degree in um, instrument building so for a long time he built like harpsichords and viola da gambas and more classically based instruments Mm. and then eventually i think he just got really into like neil young and Joni mitchell and that idea of like the the free-spirited kind of um musician that you know even though you don't have a lot of money you still have worth and value mm. so he never sold a guitar he started making guitars and then he would just give them to to people and that was his sort of philosophy where, where was he operating at this time uh he was working out of rockburn quebec oh okay mm-hmm. yeah. he had a little workshop there cool um yeah and so uh you know my mom also i think probably being in that environment was really conscious of of folk music and mm. of i think community orga- organizing too um, and then she kind of married all those things together and started uh, working for folk festivals and, and stuff like that. Right, right. And then I was sort of like in the middle of that. Right, right. And so you, you kind of felt like driven towards folk music because of that uh, kind of familial thing. Like, um, is that is that yeah. what you remember listening to when you were young? But weirdly, no. Like, mm. I was listening to a lot of hip hop and, and uh, you know, the, the the music of 2006, which must yeah. have been like Green Day. And sure, sure. Like Hand what you listen disco. to when you're young. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, you know, and I I did have a lot of records like Danielle Lenoir records and, and uh, Ricky Lee Jones and things. That, like I was heavily inf- influenced by music that I'd heard around the house. Um, but I didn't really I didn't really observe folk music as like a choice it was it was more so like just something like a language that was already there interesting and so i understand you have this west virginia connection when did that come about uh did you spend some time there or something or yeah i did yeah so i went to i went to school there for four years okay yeah and got got a bachelor's degree in religion and philosophy oh okay so that's more of a recent thing then yeah that's super recent but i mean 
I, it was connected to the fact that, like, you know, I, I started to play banjo when I was, you know, 12 or 13 around that time, and I was playing the cello, too, and, and sort of trying to figure out what I wanted to say. And, and the banjo was helpful in that way, of like, just being a tool for songwriting. Sure. And then, um, yeah, I mean, I was supposed to go, originally I was I was supposed to uh, graduate high school, and, and I'd been accepted to, um, to an... Uh, like an international studies program, essentially, and I in, at the University of Winnipeg, and I like last minute ditched that, and and um, eventually kind of ended up in West Virginia, playing the banjo and getting this liberal arts degree. Interesting, the banjo thing is that like, um, like, do you have banjo playing influences? Like, did it come out of like music that you heard? Like, where where what 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 drew you to the banjo? I really don't. And would know. you call it kind of your primary instrument? I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I really don't know. I think I just liked how it sounded. Hmm. I think that's that's like the basis of my relationship with the banjo. Hmm. And I've heard Justin Robinson, who's a member of the Carolina Chocolate Drops, he said that about it too. It's like beyond beyond all of the conceptions of it, um, like in in popular consciousness, it, it just sounds cool. Right, right. And so yeah, that was I think that was like the the originating attraction for me yeah yeah interesting do you remember when you first played for people or or what made you want to play for people first Mm. is this like a long time thing have you been in front of people since you were really young or how did it go i mean i i did the recital thing Mm, yeah you know on on what on uh on piano and then cello and so um, so is piano your first instrument yeah it's the first it's the first instrument for a lot of people people, Yeah. yeah Um, I don't know. I mean, I think for a long time I've had this ambivalence about performing right. because it, I think it's too late now. Sorry. <laughs> it's too late now. It's too late now. <laughs> it's yeah. A, it's kind of what you do. right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, but it, it's like, to me, it's like the only way to make the art live right. is to play it in front of people and for people and like, interesting, have that interaction in that one space and time. Yeah. And I mean, folk um, music is, is supposed to be this great, like living art, right? It's supposed to be yeah. like a, like an oral tradition passed down. Right. So it's kind of like integral to its whole thing that you, yeah. that you perform it, right? That you perform it. But yeah. then again, like, I don't know, you have records now. People are going to hear records like. Yeah. Well, and that's, that's like, that's an interesting conversation that started to happen. Like when you think about artists like Frank Ocean, you know, like yeah. he is a recording artist and he, pretty much like rarely plays live you know and like it's it's true like maybe maybe i should revise that statement of like you know it's maybe it's not the only way to have your art living and attracting but i think Mm. like especially for folk music it's a primary way and so i see performing as as you know something that's i think on a on a fundamental level terrifying because you're this animal that is surrounded by a whole bunch right. of other animals staring at you. Yeah, and I think there's this like fight or flight response that's like you know, th- thousands, millions of years back that you're, that that induces nervousness. But also there's I think there's this like transcendent thing that you can that you can experience that that is equally um, equally fascinating. Mm-hmm. And so I yeah it's 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 always been kind of a double edged sword for me. And I hear that I think for with a lot of musicians that that's like the 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 appeal of of playing live and playing in front of people oh totally is yeah. that kind of like will it work 
Right. Is yeah. it going to, you know? It's definitely like a rush like nothing else. Or, or, I mean, it can be, depending on what you're, on your scenario. But, uh, no, yeah, that's that's definitely a thing. Yeah. Um, if you had your way, would you would you not perform? Would you rather just make records? Like, what's... Uh, no, no, yeah. I, de- I definitely would. Yeah, I... I absolutely would i think i think the the way that i can tell that i need to make new music is when i become too comfortable on stage playing the material i think that's when i'm like okay i need to i need to create new things so that i can get to a place where i'm growing you know and Mm -hmm. i'm not just i'm not just going on autopilot so i actually i really i really enjoy that that side of it And and i like wrestling with it and and trying to figure out different ways to um to appeal to an audience and to connect to an audience and, mm-hmm. and all of those things. So yeah, it's a, it's a really an enticing part of the job for me. It's not, I'm not, I'm not like yeah. on the verge of, <laughs> you're not on the verge of never seeing me again. Yeah. I promise. Good. Yeah, I'm, glad. <laughs> I'm glad. Um, okay. Well, speaking of new music, so, so you have this new record that's, oh, it's been out uh, for a week or so, right? Or a couple weeks. Yeah. A few yeah. weeks. Yeah. Yeah. Right on. It's called grenades and it is your third, right? It's my third record. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, and so from what I understand, it's, I mean, I've obviously heard the record. I got to work on it. That was super great, and I was uh, happy to be a part of it. And um, what I understood immediately lyrically and what I kind of understand now from what you've put out there about the record is that uh, it's centered around uh, your relationship with Grenada. Your father's from Grenada. Um, do you want to get into that a little bit? Yeah, you went down there, I guess, and, and mm-hmm. uh, researched the, uh, the record a little bit. Yeah, um, so my dad is a refugee. Uh, He came to Canada in 1986 uh, from Grenada, which is a small island, like you were saying, in the Lesser Antilles of the Caribbean, so kind of off the, like, northeastern coast of Venezuela. Um, Yeah, I mean, in in the late 70s, early 80s, there was a lot going on. Reagan was in power. Um, There was kind of the Nicaraguan Contra War. There was some stuff going on in Iran. Um, there was, I think, this overarching sentiment that, um, capitalism was under, under threat or under siege, Mm -hmm. um, which I think the, the more you accumulate as a country, um, and the more, if I can be so bold, the more myths that you create about yourself, the the more you feel like people are coming to get you and the the more paranoid you feel. Mm -hmm. And so in 1979, uh, there was a guy named Morris Bishop, who was a barrister, um, who had, who was born in Grenada but had gone to train in England and, and had gotten his education and come home. And uh, he was part of a, a, a group of young revolutionaries called the New Jewel Movement. And their, um, th- their overarching belief was that um, Grenada, despite having its independence from England, was um, still kind of beholden to, uh, to, to, you know, to developed nations. Um, and, and so he, um, basically, uh, led a peaceful revolution to overthrow the the prime minister at the time, Eric Gary. Mm -hmm. And, um, he instituted, um, quite a few policy moves that were kind of based around socialism and peaceful black nationalism. So, um, one of the programs was called each one teach one. And, um, at the time there was a, a 50% literacy rate. So half of the adult population could read and half the adult population couldn't. Mm -hmm. And so he, um, asked those who could to find someone who couldn't and teach them how to read. And so the literacy rate, you know, increased, I think Mm -hmm. to 90 or 95%. 
And so it was about kind of keeping things in house. Um, and um, that like black self-actualization and, and um, self-realization outside of the frame of, of being sort of this backyard to a lot of world powers and, and a ping pong ball to a lot of world powers, which a lot of Caribbean countries are, Puerto Rico, um, mm-hmm. Haiti, right. the, Dominican, the Dominican Republic, um, Cuba was, right, was one, of, one of those islands that was rejecting that. So, um, you know, this was seen as a, as a big threat to uh, Ronald Reagan, who um, was in power at the time. Um, you know, 79 through 83, uh, Morris Bishop had tried to reach out to Reagan, but there was a lot of um, static there. Mm-hmm. Um, and in 1983, October 25th of 1983, um, you know, Reagan, Reagan was um, facing an election year and he needed a win. And so there, there is suspicion that um, there's seeds of um, distrust sown within Morris Bishop's cabinet, and um, you know, uh, one of a member of his cabinet, Bernard Cord, tried to overthrow him, and then the United States used that as a as a reason to invade, and it to was invade. called yeah to invade yeah, yeah. the island, and and it was called Operation Urgent Fury, oh boy, which is hilarious yeah. to me, <laughs> Urgent Fury. <laughs> Um, and, and anyway, and, uh, and so, you know, across the, across the TV screens in America, the, 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 the idea was that this kind of big, bad black government, um, had, uh, had overtaken this medical school, which, which housed a lot of U.S., uh, citizens. And so it was like, we got to go in and get our people out. And at the same time, we better rectify the situation. And so, um, you know, was still there at the time. He was still there at the time. He was a kid. And so, um, you know, to make a long story short, uh, there were a lot of opportunities that were quashed um, with with the ending of of the neutral movement and and the socialist government. One of them being the idea that that kids, that Grenadian children could could go and study um, abroad. Really? Which was which so that was, was the end of that deal. government, in other words. When it was the end of that government. Yeah, 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 yeah. they were. Yeah, and and wow. and Morris Bishop was um, was executed not oh by gosh. not by the United States, but um, oh. by by members of his own cabinet. So it was all kind of this crazy chaotic yeah. situation, um, which ended in super dramatic story, yeah. right? In in decimated hopes, basically, mm-hmm. and um, and so after that, he uh, went to um, he did a few tours in Canada. He was able to get off the island and um, be part of a pilot program um, by the the government of Quebec, um, which took. Sorry, this is your dad. This is my dad. Yeah, yeah. which took children from um, war torn countries Mm -hmm. and brought them to Canadian high schools and basically had them talk to other Canadian students about the experiences of war. Interesting. And so my dad did that twice, and uh, on the second tour, he knew that he wouldn't be able to afford a flight back if he wasn't, you know, chosen to be part of this program again. Mm. And so um, he decided to stay um, and apply for for uh, refugee status mm. in Canada. So that's the kind of abridged version. Sure, sure. Um, How much of this did you know as a kid? Or is this like stuff that you always were aware of, the, the whole situation in Grenada and that you had, you know, that he had gone through that? I mean, I think I was aware, like, many children of refugees are aware which Mm. is just like your parents story is a vague part of your own story 
And so, you, you know, you kind of start out as a kid of, of, you know, you being your entire world and then your, your kind of, your vision expands mm-hmm. as you get older. And it took me a long time. I, I actually, you know, I didn't think that, that his story was interesting. He never really talked about it with me. It was my mom who actually told me a lot of these details. Interesting. Um, yeah, and, and, and I think maybe my, uh, my curiosity for this, this whole story was, was reignited when, when I started um, seeing um, stories, stories about Syrian refugees, stories about refugees coming up from, from the Mexican border, and, and sort of this, this cycle of, of, you know, what does immigration mean, what does citizenship mean, mm-hmm. um, coupled with, you know, um, the, the idea of, of going back to a time, like Make America Great Again, or, right, right. or you know, Doug Ford's um, whole kind of platform i mean social justice is kind of always there's there's like a thread of it in folk music it's like kind of a thing but like seems like now is really a time where like everybody's interested in it because it's like how can you not be like right what what is the world right now exactly exactly and and we tend to um we tend to think of especially young people i think tend to tend to think about things in in terms of you know this is the this is the first that this is the first thing that has ever happened and mm-hmm. this is terrible and i think talking to your elders and talking to your parents and your grandparents i think makes you see that that it's it's just a repetition of of right. it's just the return of a cycle of course and so i think i i just needed some perspective and i i needed to have a conversation with him which we'd rarely had before you know start to finish right. tell me about your story is he still here or is he Mm-hmm. Well, uh, he lives in Vancouver, okay, right. but I think he's he he actually just went back to Grenada, and I think he's eventually just trying to to move back. I see. Yeah, and he he recently got his master's degree, and he's cool. doing really well. And stuff. So so having having all of that perspective and all that stuff about the history of it, you then went there. Is that correct? To yes, yeah. Okay. yeah. Tell in, me about that in April. Uh, I I went there. I think searching for something. Um, I think as a, as a biracial woman, I have always felt like I don't quite belong in, in any circle. And I think a lot of biracial people feel that. Um, and so I thought maybe going back to Grenada would provide me with some of the answers that I was looking for. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah. And, and I don't know. I mean, I, I think I went back and. Had you been before? I had, but as a, as a child, I guess maybe four or five. Right, right. Um, I, you know, I, it, it's funny cause I, I remember landing and feeling like so Canadian. Yeah. Like I felt like, okay, I'm just going to go there and like, I'm going to, you know, my Grenadian side is going to show, but like my accent is so clearly <laughs> just these round R's that, right, right. you know, and, and my cousins were like laughing at me and, yeah. and stuff like all in, all in fun. But like, I realized how much of this country is is in me and is part of my identity, hmm. and that was a strangely comforting thing because for a long time I felt like maybe at a loss for identity. Interesting, um, you know. So yeah, Jews in North America, we have this thing where, like, you know, for a long time we've kind of 
we've been able to assimilate, but we're always kind of other. And we have this thing with Israel, right? Where we like feel like that's kind of a homeland. But yeah, I have the same memory of going back there and being like, I am such a Canadian. I can't, <laughs> like, I understand Hebrew, but I can't really like speak it. Like they, right. you know, I stick out here uh, like, <laughs> like more than at home. <laughs> yeah, way, way more than at home. Anyway, so, yeah, exactly. uh, so, I mean, you know, the trip must have, probably influenced a lot of the record or you know like do you do you know that there are bits of that trip in the record are there big chunks of that trip in the record huge chunks yeah yeah. um how long were you there i was there for a month Hmm. uh the song meridian ground was written there is about that place is about that experience right there's a, there's a verse about your aunt. Is that all? Yeah. Story is that factual? Like what's? It's it's all true. Yeah. So I had a, a great aunt. Her name uh, her name is Tiny, or her name was okay. Tiny, and she was like maybe five foot on a good day, <laughs> and um and she lived to be something like ninety three or ninety four, wow. um and she she owned her own house, which which was which is a big deal there. Mm-hmm. And uh, I remember my uncle, who was her caregiver, her caretaker, had told me that you know it was it was really hard to to care for her in the in the later kind of years, mm-hmm. but that when she passed, he he woke up and went into her room and he found her um, with this big smile on her face <laughs> and her eyes wide open. Wow! And she had died in the night, but it, he was like it was almost as if she she had seen something incredible. Wow. Um, and so, you know, those those lyrics are are woven in there and kind of mm-hmm. stories that that um, are innocuous, but also part of, I think, part of the, the fabric of of my family chain and, and something sure. I thought was poetic enough to to be included in, in that story. Um, when people come in here to make records, songwriters specifically who come in to make their own record and they build things around it. Um, I tend to hear a lot of like people who think what they have on their hands is some kind of a concept record and that we're going to like move towards this like concept. And sometimes what I have to do is be like, well, wait a minute, it could be great, but like the pieces have to be there and like the songs should be strong first before there's a concept is, I mean, is grenades a concept record? I think you've, it seems to me like you've achieved this like concept where like the songs are there and then there is this realized concept did you think of it that way i didn't i really didn't um i think people started calling it a concept album Mm -hmm. and i i was i sort of came around to the idea rather than going at it from a from a perspective of this is the concept right right you know um i felt like it needed to have space um you know i i I was working with you i was working with aaron costello who who was the the producer of this album and I felt like I needed to be open to whatever it was going to become. Mm-hmm. Um, and then as it came together, it became clear that, you know, all of these separate puzzle pieces kind of made this clearer picture. Interesting. Um, yeah. And I, I do have a tendency to work in that way. I, I think I, you know, my previous record, Nine Pin, is pretty sonically coordinated, Mm-hmm. Um, and people have called that a concept album. And, uh, yeah, I, th- I think that's the way I think about, um, art mm-hmm. and my art as, as different ways of, of expressing a larger, um, mosaic of emotions. Mm-hmm. Is the album, this is a total left field and I'm going to get back to grenades, but is the album important still? Do you, do you feel like you need to put out a, a set of 10 songs in order to make a, 
uh, statement, or is it the type of thing where like if you have something great that's one song, you want to get it out? Ooh, you, like you probably haven't done that yet, but I mean, is that something you'd consider? That's 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 yeah. you know, it's kind of uh, the pace that we see in pop music right now, right? That the, like a single song at a time. Yeah. It's like back to nineteen sixty, right? Yeah, totally. Um, but is the album as a format important to you? I don't think particularly. I mean, I think if I ha- if I had a song that I felt was a strong enough song to stand on its own, mm-hmm. then I would put it out. If yeah. I if I felt like it needed to be contextualized by by other things around it. Yeah, oh, that's um, a good point. Like by the immediate times by or the whatever. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, I would love to put out a single, though. Yeah. I, like, yeah. dream about that, of, like, saying, yeah, check out my single. Yeah. Like, I've never said that. Well, I mean, certainly there's, like, <laughs> singles from this record in the in the old school way of thinking, right? Like, you know, uh, um, songs came out before the record and all that. Anyway, let's... But, yeah, uh, independent, yeah. Sure, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm thinking of, like, The Weather Station and Jennifer Castle, who put out two songs yeah. and sang on each other's songs. Yeah. And I think that's that like that in and of itself is a cool concept. Absolutely. It doesn't have to be a whole record, you know. I think I think that's strong and interesting on its own. Sure. Yeah. It's funny cuz like um you can put your music out so quickly now, right? Like I mean, you could literally like finish something today, send it to your distro, it could be on Spotify next week. Yeah. Um yeah, it's funny how that immediacy. But you know, 40, 50 years ago, that was still possible. There was just a lot more money involved. Uh, you know, if somebody needed to get something out in a hurry, it's like they could send it to press really quick. They could get a single out. Um, it's just like it was hundreds of thousands of dollars later. <laughs> um, yeah. Anyway, okay, back to the record. Um, okay, so you go to Grenada. You did did a bit of writing there. What's the deal with the Smithsonian? You spent a bit of time in the archives or something? I did, yeah. yeah. Um, and, and this is after Grenada or what? This was after Grenada. Okay. This was actually, I came back. I had, I think, two days at home not even and then i went to dc oh so straight so it was okay. like yeah i was there and gone um what tell me about the archives and how they're laid like it's obviously hard materials right like we're talking about books and records and stuff right you mean like in the actual yeah, archives yeah, yeah in the archives I, itself like it's a library i guess i it is um but it they also have like a, a really strong online library okay. so they've digitized a lot of stuff so mm-hmm. i kind of knew just by looking at their online library what i was what I was going to be looking for. Um, their physical library is very cool. It's it's just a small portion of the overall Smithsonian uh, libraries, which I advise anybody, if you're like hanging out in DC, to just go for an afternoon and just nerd out. Hmm. It's, it's you, you know, you discover amazing stuff. Hmm. But yeah, I mean, I discovered a, a recording uh, from uh, the Emery Cook collection, and I don't love all of his stuff, but he um, he went to Grenada and just recorded, uh, just kind of. It seems like he he just turned his rec- recorder yeah, on yeah. And, in in a village called uh, Boca, okay. and basically just asked people what songs they knew and what songs they sang, and and people like just took turns singing. Yeah. yeah, it was like, it was the, exactly that. Like it was a, a field recording. And uh, there was a really cool melody that that a woman was singing on the B side of the tape, and um, and so I I kind of lovingly stole that. Yeah. And uh, I I recorded a bunch of stuff, but I didn't know if they would make their way into the record or not. And um, it was as the songs were coming together that I could see that okay, I need you know I need this mm-hmm. to, to make this image complete. Were you writing a lot there? Or were you more like amassing stuff, and then the writing happened later? I was writing a lot there. Um, I I wrote maybe two or three songs, so I don't think it it, it represented a huge portion of my writing. Mm-hmm. I think it, my writing was evenly distributed between 
before I went, when I went, and then after I went. I think it was like three or four songs in each of those periods were written. Interesting. Yeah. And so going there, I mean, you had been to Grenada. Do you already kind of have an idea that that's what you were looking into, that this was going to be kind of a Grenada-centric record? Yeah, I mean, I, I wrote a grant to the Canada Council saying as much. I see. Um, and they were, um, shout out to the Canada Council. Yeah, yeah. They were really helpful in, in just giving me the space and time that I needed financially to even do that. Wow. Um, and so, yeah, so so I knew that, that it was going to have something to do with it. Um, I didn't necessarily want it to be the whole story, I mm-hmm. guess. Um, and so I was I was really careful um about my writing i i wanted to give a more 360 degree picture of Mm -hmm. of everything that i was thinking about um but it was definitely a huge it was a huge part of why i went and and a lot of the songs wouldn't have been written had i not gone i think listening to the record cold you get a bit of a sense that there's like something going on um you know with grenade or with some kind of concept like that but Knowing these little tidbits, I think it's like, oh, you can see more of it in the record, but um, certainly there's other stuff going on. How does, uh, how's your dad feel about it? Is he, I mean, he makes a little appearance on the record, right? Yeah. More than one? No. Uh, Three. Okay, yeah, three. Three interludes, yeah. So those conversations were taken from a larger conversation that we had uh, last Christmas. Mm -hmm. I like, we went down into his basement and like tried to muffle all the sounds as best as we could, like dead in the room. Right. And then I recorded him. Um, I think he's into it. I, you know, he, I he's had a pretty unique. We've had a pretty unique um, interaction through through my music. You know, I I think he he always loved music and wanted to show me a lot of music, like all of the hip hop I know, mm-hmm. um, except my mom showed me the Fugees and a few okay. other people. But like my dad had a huge influence in and impact in like me analyzing poetry and hip hop. Mm-hmm. So like I I do have a lot of I I do see him as as a huge part of my musical development, but you know we had a, we had a tough time when I told him that I wanted to pursue music because he wanted me to pursue edu- my education yep. you know and and Been I kind of had to rebuff him <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah I'm sure you don't know anything about that um, but I had to I had to rebuff him in a, in a lot of ways and push back and 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 exert my own personality as as more than just a shadow of a of a time you know sure. and and just kind of say that you like I you know you came here so that I could have a better life and like this is the life that I'm choosing and yeah. I promise not to eat ramen yeah, right. f- you know forever and I promise to grow this in a healthy way um anyway and and so I think this record is, has helped with that understanding and I think has has given him more of a more of an anchor to hold on to of like, okay, this is what she's doing and this yeah, is what yeah. she's trying to do. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, uh, I find that, uh, I still sometimes push a little bit or, you know, I like, I have to push a little bit back at my family, uh, although they are amazing and yeah. lovely and they of course are supportive and I've been doing this a long time, but like still it's not, uh, you know, choosing this life is like a little, uh, it's a little out there. It's probably, I mean, I'm a parent now and I think about how like, um, you know, thinking about your children's choices and like what you want for them and all that stuff. And what you don't want for them is to go out into like a life of uncertainty, which is definitely what the music business can be. Right. Sure. Um, yeah, it's pretty funny how that works. Um, can I ask how yeah. you, how you started playing 
Sure, music? yeah. Uh, I mean, I had lessons when I was a kid. Like, I had guitar lessons since I was, like, eight. Um, but it was always, like, I think maybe would have been the same for you, where, like, my parents wanted me to have that kind of skill. They wanted me to develop, like, that side of my brain or whatever. But uh, it was not really, like... It was not a thing that I that they wanted me to necessarily pursue. With due respect to them, love you guys. <laughs> They're gonna watch this, I'm sure. Um, but uh, no, it's uh, you know also like there's no escaping that like in North American Jewish culture, there's a thing where like you push your kids towards being professionals. Like that's a, a thing. Like people who I went to school with are all like they're in big business or they're doctor lawyer my dad's an accountant i know a number of accountants you know what i mean mm -hmm. that's a thing that like that's the path that you follow you just do yeah. um so for me to decide to do this as a as a like a pursuit um i guess i didn't really pull the trigger on it until i started playing steel that would be it um because it's sort of a rare a more rare thing mm. i remember calling my dad and saying hey so um i bought this steel guitar and he was to him that doesn't mean anything different than another kind of guitar and he was like you have already have so many guitars and i was like no this is a different thing yeah. <laughs> and it's gonna be kind of a niche for me i think and that that was like okay i think then he understood maybe but you know what it, it probably didn't really uh make full sense to them until i got a chance you know seven eight years ago to finally play some like larger shows do larger tours like really go super pro and i think that's when it made sense for them yeah i do feel like it, that there's a certain amount of like uh, i i you know i think i think there obviously there's a lot of ego in music but i i think that's you know those are some of the moments when i when i you know when you can be like see like <laughs> yeah, right right see yeah it's it's I, wasn't all just a, a crapshoot you know? no totally i kind of hate that that has to happen but it's it's so yeah. true it's a, a, a you know i say this to people who come in to make records sometimes there's so few accolades in this business like i didn't finish any school myself like i i bounced around to a bunch of different post-secondary schools i didn't finish any of them because i was already playing steel and the, this was already my life and so i didn't have like a cap and gown situation to be like uh you know here i am i've arrived i'm i'm a professional now and there are so few accolades and you could say that there are awards which are great if you get them but there's so many people who are like making a living doing this who are making great art who like don't get awards and yeah. or, or or who may get one in 10 years or whatever yeah. and uh it doesn't mean that the other nine years they didn't do good work you know um it's a it's a in that sense it takes a lot of like uh self-determination to keep doing this right you got to remember that like no what like what you're doing is good and is valuable and all that stuff right um, absolutely and a lot of like intrinsic direction hmm. you know but like i i see that you know with with you in your studio and like talking about how you just decided to to do it and decided to yeah. make it happen and and i think that that's that's a lot of what what music making and um music making is you know i have started minimally to to start to give classes about songwriting and you know off offhandedly and or some people ask about ex advice mm -hmm. you know right. and i that won't I, stop <laughs> but I, I i really don't mind it but i sure. i think a lot of it is just kind of like you gotta you gotta just do it you gotta mm -hmm. just do it and i i've been reading oh, yeah. um quest love has a new book out called okay. creative quest okay and um 
and it's is very quest love and it's awesome and mm. he has so many like musical digressions but um he talks a lot about about that thing of like it's just about it's just about doing it and, yeah and making it work and and being okay with the fact that you're gonna have a lot of valleys yeah you know I don't want to be rude to people, but like sometimes I feel like saying, if you have to ask this question, you're already going the wrong. Like, it, you know, you just just get on with the show. Like right. for you to stop and ask me what I did, all I did was did it. <laughs> I did. I just did it. <laughs> and and just like worked through so much. You know, they talk about actors facing all kinds of rejection. Like we're in the same boat. Like right. um, and even like, uh, you know, I, uh, friends who are like at a, at, at another tier of you know, success, they say that like everybody experiences those same kind of valleys, like people who are already playing like humongous rooms, they might be, uh, you know, they might be shut out of late night TV. And that's a thing that they're aiming for. And people who are on late night, uh, wish they were like doing the Super Bowl and they're being shut out or whatever, you know right. what I mean? Uh, it's just like, you kind of face constant rejection, and you got to just work through it, right? Yeah. And but I, I think you're, you're right. It's just in terms of like, I can acknowledge that like I've had a certain amount of privilege because I had a parent that already worked in music. So yeah. I feel like I had, I definitely had a head start and like we sure. all have different, um, we all start from different places and, and there's really no school. There's no right. school that right. you go to where I can be like, okay, this, you do this first and then you do this right. and then this equals, you know, and, yeah, you and don't, like, you don't the, hand in your diploma in exchange for like a job making right. music yeah right like that's uh, that's kind of the thing in the creative arts is is you're just sta- you kind of feels like you're shooting in the dark uh-huh. and some things land and some things don't yeah. you know just gotta cross your fingers <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah um i had some questions here i wanted to ask you about um i don't know how much you want to talk about this but like about uh the capital f folk music scene that i presume you've probably existed in for a while and perhaps um I don't know, in my mind, this record might sort of hopefully kind of blow you out of those boundaries. Um, but was it important for you to come up through that scene? And uh, did, it, did it help to foster you? Was it, I mean, talk about it a little bit. Yeah, I mean, it was definitely an incubator, I think, when I was when I was a teen into my early 20s. Because, you know, I've, I've been playing, I've been playing live to people for 10 years now. And... Um, you know, there are not a lot of places that would give like a 15 year old with with a few songs and right. and kind of a, an idea like a, a platform and a stage. And and I I showcased a lot at conferences like Folk Alliance um, International um, Music, uh, Folk Music Ontario, which happens in Ontario. Clearly, do you still go in and do those things? Are they important to you? Or I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I'll still go in and do them. I think it's important. Um, I think that I also would like to get out of the way for people that still have a lot to, to gain from those I things. Yeah, yeah. You know, so I have a new record out, so I'm going to go and do um, Folk Alliance. But um, I, I try and just kind of stay out of the way because I think it's a, it's a really big pond. There are a lot of fish yeah. and... You know, if if I don't have a new record out, if my showcase can go to somebody who does and who is hustling and working, mm-hmm. um, then then that's what I want to do. And um, you know, I mean, I've 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 had trouble in the folk scene. I I think there's a certain amount of lack of self reflection that happens in the folk scene. There's mm-hmm. a lot of nostalgia that goes on. Um, there 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 is. Um, I think as it with with every scene, there's a lot of misogyny. Um, 
And so, yeah, so so I think growing up, growing up in that scene was hard in a lot of ways, but also taught me a lot of valuable lessons. Um, and I have no, I have really no attachment to nostalgia in, in the like, kind of let's, let's keep folk this sure. one thing. I think that is useless. It's right, a useless right. mindset. And, and I would love to, um, you know, I admire people like Joni Mitchell and, and who just had her 75th birthday actually. Right, right. And, and, you know, people kind of think like, oh yeah, you know, like kind of this songbird who's like strumming on the guitar and on the, whatever, on the auto harp of Dulcimer. Mm. Um, and I, like, I, th- I, of course I see that, but I also see like hissing of summer lawns and I see her doing like weird jazz albums yeah. and like just, just, just kind of refusing to be pegged down by anything and, right. and pursuing her own um, self-actualization in a way that is, is interesting to her. Mm-hmm. And, and to me, I, I mean, that's what I take away from, from her legacy. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why I think she's such a strong, like impressive artist is, is because she, she's kind of moves around all the time. And, um, and so, you know, that's, that's what I'd like to see from, from folk music. And, and, uh, that's, that's what I love to see in, in the, the musicians that I, that I love, like, um, Tamara, uh, mm-hmm. from, you know, who is the weather station mm-hmm. and, and she kind of started out, we had a conversation about how she's, I mean, she's a Clawhammer banjo player. Yeah. Yeah. And like we had a conversation about that at Newport folk festival. Actually, I kind of forgot that, but that's totally how I first knew of her was she played. She played the banjo. Clawhammer. Yeah. That's funny. Right. And you know, she's like, has, has a great record out that's just totally different from that and yeah. I, I don't think that that's a bad thing oh no, no. Um, i was just saying before we started that i finally saw the quote rock and roll weather station uh just a few weeks ago and man it was powerful and amazing right yeah i mean it's all centered on her songwriting which is exemplary so good yeah, yeah. um so anyway so so those kind of like those women specifically um i mean um uh, Tamara, Joni, and and many others mm-hmm. um, are are guiding lights for me in in just kind of knowing that I am pursuing a path that is that is worthwhile. Right on. You know, um, I think you probably have like a great cycle ahead of you for this record, so you probably won't think about it for a year or a year and a half. But what do you do? You have any idea where you'll head next creatively? Like, uh, you have any like any buds that are blooming yet? Like in terms of uh, new material or anything like that? Um, probably just get even more rock and roll, I yeah, think. Right. Yeah. Um, cool. I uh, I recently joined a group which is the Song a Week group. Okay. And it's just me and a and a like six other songwriters mm-hmm. of varying genres. Mm-hmm. Um, and the idea is to write a song a week. And uh, if you don't, I think if you don't get it in by the deadline, you're like, you're cut off from the next week. Okay. And it's, it's about like, I think just, just being consistent with your writing mm-hmm. and just writing, even if it's not the best, even if it's just a verse yeah, yeah. Um, and a chorus. And so, yeah, I'm looking forward to that of just like writing regularly and seeing other people's work sure. and being inspired by that. Interesting. Uh, and sorry, this is Toronto based? This, uh it, no not necessarily uh yeah it's it's a uh, it's basically just an email thread and oh, a, wow. in, a, in like a dropbox cool so yeah have you had that kind of thing in the past where you've like felt like you fed off other writers or other singers that were in your zone or you do a lot of this stuff by yourself or what mm. i my writing has been really really um solitary mm. 
And I had an experience where I did a few co-writes and um, except for one instance, it just felt like the dilution of two very good songwriters into one okay song. <laughs> and I'm... <laughs> no, I, I feel... I mean, I, I, know, I know a lot of people who have success with co-writes. It's never worked for me, to be honest. So I totally right. feel what you're saying. Um, and, and I don't know if it's, if it's, if it sort of feels like going on a, on a blind date or something. Yeah, right. Like, right. right. Where song. you're just expected to just like collaborate <laughs> creatively immediately with the person you sit down with. Right. That, that I find strange. It's and like, is. what I find even more strange is how successful some people are at it. I guess it's just, you have to just like immediately sit down and like either drop all barriers or like size up the person you're with and just like figure out. I don't know. Yeah. I, don't know. I think it is a skill. Like I saw, you know, two two people um co-write together. Um one was like a Danish woman and this um this American guy and they mm. wrote just the most awesome like teen love pop song. Okay. And and I and I admire it. That was like the first day and they just and I think it was that. I think they were just like, "Okay, let's write a good song." Yeah. And they were both on the same page and there was no, you know, nobody was getting offended or there weren't ideas right. maybe that were being held on to or, or whatever. And I think they both just respected each other's songwriting. Sure. Um, and I, and I haven't, I, of course I've loved co-writing with, with everybody that I have, if they're watching. Um, <laughs> but watching. I, like I haven't found the magical yeah, yeah. recipe for that. Right. I mean, I'm sure, look, you've got like Lennon and McCartney who, who started, I think doing that thing where they like, got together and they did a thing together but then very shortly it became like they were writing by themselves um but feeding off each other's thing right like everything was considered Lennon McCartney but it was like they had to one-up each other privately uh which kind of that became like the essence of their collaboration which is kind of interesting was it like like a competitive I didn't realize Uh, well like a friendly competitive I think from what I I mean there's been so much written about it like who even knows yeah uh even like I'm sure Paul is a little hazy on the exact nature yeah. of it at this point. Yeah. But uh, no, I think there was a lot of, in the early days, a lot of like, I have this piece and I have this piece. Let's put it together. And then yeah. as time went on, it was like, here's my latest song. Oh, yeah? Here's my latest song. That kind of thing. Oh. Which also, so I kind of came up in a scene in Hamilton where it was like a bunch of us were in bands and a bunch of us were like in a very friendly and mutually supportive way trying to one-up one another, I think, a little bit. Uh you know, if one band had, well, that's how I know Mitch, uh, just coming out of that, that scene where like, there were so many bands and so many like mutually respected people that like, um, if there was a great show, you didn't begrudge your pals from having a good show, but you just wanted to have a better one yeah. in a couple of weeks. You know? Yeah, absolutely. And I, and you know, I, I kind of feel like that's, that's what this song a week thing is going to be. It's like, if if you if someone writes a really kick ass song, mm-hmm. you're like, oh my god, I got it! Like I gotta do better. Yeah, yeah. you know, like because totally. it's it's really easy to be lazy. It's really easy to be lazy mm-hmm. about it about staying staying disciplined and and there's something yeah there's absolutely something about someone writing a great song or having a great show where you're like yeah okay yeah. all right I'm gonna do this too like I'm gonna go for this as well yeah I'm yeah. Trying. Yeah. All right. Well, okay. The last thing I wanted to ask you is just a very basic, um, what are you listening to? And do you want to tell us about anything that you have discovered lately? Mm-hmm. Sure. And we could even like get it going on the Spotify here. Yeah. If you want. Let me think. Not to put you on the spot. Sorry. Not to put me on the Spotify. <laughs> but to exactly put you on the spot. 
Um, I'm just thinking. I find uh, I had like a long period where I like didn't listen to a lot of new music, and sometimes I get in those those areas too. Like, um, can I pull out my phone? Yeah, yeah, please. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Have a look. I know um, have. No, you cannot pull out your phone. Um, no, I find um, for a long time I was such a curmudgeon. I was like, well, there's just so much in the like 20th century that it still remains uncovered for me and is still going to be so inspirational for me that why wouldn't I seek that stuff out um, instead of like trying to hear some watered down thing? Like why wouldn't I, um, uh, this is a bad example because I, I kind of love Wilco, but like why would, I, <laughs> why would I listen to the new Wilco record when I can just go listen to like, you know, a George Harrison record that they love that I've never heard or, uh, oh, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. Like why would I like get the neck like down the line? Um, but that's actually, I've kind of grown out of that a little bit. It was, it was a curmudgeonly attitude that I had when I was younger. Now now I'm trying to open up myself to new music. When people ask me what I'm listening to, it's mostly like, well, uh, whatever I was working on these past two weeks is literally what's been rattling around my head. Yeah. I mean, I feel like I'm just looking at my playlist. Um, I, I have been on that beat of like trying to like rediscover artists that i've always liked like i saw paul simon i was on some late night tv show Mm -hmm. talking about writing um still crazy after all these years and at the time it was like half done and he was talking about all the all of the artistic choices he could make and so that launched me into this like oh my god paul simon's awesome (laughs) and like just like listening to in the blue light and and um listening to um uh Oh God, like the rhythm of the saints and, you know, more popular stuff like Graceland and, um, yeah. So I have been on that a bit. Um, I've been listening to Saba, who's a Chicago rapper. Um, he has a new album called care for me. It's great. And his previous album is also really good. Uh, no name. Who's also a Chicago rapper who has Mm. a new record out called room 25. She's awesome. Um, I've been listening to a bit of, um, Randy Newman. Oh, nice. Yeah. Love Randy Newman. Great, great like, artist. Fantastic writer, yeah. Like, for some reason, it totally missed that. Yeah. Never listened to him. I'm only, like, I only got deep in the past couple of years. Yeah. Somebody brought, like, mentioned him to me on tour once, and I was like, oh, yeah, I should dive in. Yeah. And, yeah, great. He's great. He's, like, the soundtrack to my childhood, because he did the Toy Story soundtrack. Totally. Which was, so. like, his voice is totally embedded in my, like, yeah. being. And you could hear his little chordal moves on that soundtrack stuff, if you go back to his record, it's like, oh, yeah, that's his signature almost. The way he, like, moves around the piano. Yeah. It's very much, it's funny how people develop styles like that. Yeah. Yeah. And I actually saw someone play who, it, it was that Wilco thing where, like, I was like, oh, this guy has a lot of Randy yeah. Newman influence and, like, right. is writing great songs. Right. I should go listen to, like, to Randy, Randy Newman songs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Um, um Okay, so we're almost wrapping up, but no, you you bring up these couple Chicago rappers, and y- you know they say they say I agree that um, uh, hip hop is certainly when it became more conscious. Anyway, uh, is basically such a huge branch of folk music. Um, do you uh, you know like lyrically are you are you feeling influenced mm-hmm. by 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 hip hop and stuff? By, yeah, by I MCs? mean, 
250%. I, you know, I think when people are like, oh, what was your biggest influence on Grenades? I, it was hip hop. I mean, yeah. the reason I put interludes into that album is because interludes are so common in yeah, rap and hip hop records. Yeah. And like, actually skits are, re- have been really common on yes. like Wu-Tang Clan and like Fuji's totally. albums. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I think the interludes ones like, this is sort of branching into R and B, but like SZA put out a record called Control um, a year ago, a few, a few years ago, and um, Solange also put out a record mm-hmm. um, called The Seat at the Table, and both of those had were featuring conversations with their parents. Interesting. And that was a huge influence for me because I I realized that like there was always this fear that like maybe it's lame or maybe it's not cool to like mm. have conversations with your parents right. just like the teenager in me but but all these were so poignant and especially Solange it's, it, it was conversations about what does it mean to be black and proud mm. and like just such intimate you know such intimate conversations mm. and and so that I mean that's the whole reason why why I started talking to my dad about this and and I mean I think the poetic um muscle like it's a muscular genre. Like mm-hmm. if you listen to people like Black Thought, where he just he raps, he raps in such a strong way, and and I really admire that that ability for lyrics to just be so so strong mm-hmm. and kind of impenetrable. Um, and and I see that in rap and hip hop. I think much more than I see it in other genres. Right. And I, I noticed that the artists I like are people who, who look at lyrics in that way. Like I was just talking about Joni Mitchell and Paul Simon. I mean, they, they both, they both just write in, in really interesting ways. Um, hmm. And so, yeah, I mean, hip hop, I could go on about hip hop all day. Yeah. I mean, you I feel w- like you ever, like, do you have any MC skills? Like, I mean, <laughs> I mean, well, you know, like frankly on the record, there's, there's moments where like you have kind of a flow. Right. Which I think is badass, Thank and uh, yeah, I don't know. Um, do you feel like you ever sort of branch out of the like acoustic instrument thing, and like, is that important to you? Well, uh, okay, this is a little known thing, but I did rap on my EP. Oh, it's called Old Soul. Okay, and I rapped over. I'll scroll down on my Spotify page. <laughs> yeah, check it out. Look at it. It's it's kind of funny, but I mean, it was my first foray into like just trying trying to rap at at all and and uh you know i i don't i don't feel the need to like rebrand myself as 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 a as a hip-hop like in a hip-hop band and i know that's probably not what you're asking but i i yeah i would love to do that i mean i would love to make more pop music and rock music and Mm. um and i i certainly have influences in that direction and and so yeah i think i would just like to explore the possibilities of of what I can do while doing it well. Sure, yeah. This is devil's advocate, but there's no, you don't think there's a wall there for you as like someone who's come from folk, someone who, you know, is wearing the banjo and such. Uh, There's no wall up that you can't push down that'll just take you wherever you want to go musically? Uh, You know, like if you were to do those other things? Yeah, I mean, I, I have already been getting comments from people and I, I sort of can tell that they're mixed emotions of the people, you know, they'll say you don't have as much banjo in this album. Mm-hmm. You're right. not playing as much banjo. <laughs> Hilarious. You know, and, and I, I think some people see that oh, as like an exciting thing. your first record thing. better. Yeah, <laughs> but there is, I mean, I, 
like you you know like listening oh, to yeah. artists you really love and you're so in i had this with rose cousins i loved her her first record that mm-hmm. was made by the cbc and then she made another record that like had guitar electric guitar yeah, on it. Right. and i like and you got mad i sonically no i mean i think i think yeah i had an emotional reaction yeah, to it sure and like later totally settled into it and loved it yeah. But I remember just being like, how dare, like, how yeah. dare she do this to me? You, um, you know, I travel a bit with uh, Dan Romano. I've d- toured with him off and on. And he made this very, like, country record, right? Come Cry With Me, where he's wearing the hat and a rhinestone suit yeah. on the front. Great and then, album cover. Right. And then two years later, first of all, he's the kind of guy who, like, we played those songs out before that record came out. And then by the time it was out, it was like he was on to something else. But, yeah, we would be in, you know, in the Netherlands and guys would show up to the show in full cowboy regalia and wonder why they were, why the show instead was like a Rolling Thunder review, like big 70s rock and roll show. And they would be so confused and mad. <laughs> At the merch table, they'd be like, we do not understand. <laughs> That's but, great. And I hate to like laugh at the people who were paying, <laughs> who were paying my salary, uh, you know, but, and, and that's, I totally identify as a fan. Like, yeah, you know, there's definitely bands where I'm like, well, it's really only the first two records for me. Yeah. And like, you yeah. know, beyond that is when like shit got weird. Yeah, got but, then, <laughs> but then like, I'm also on the, on the train where like, I'll listen to a new Neil Young record, like 50 records in, like, I'll check it out. I think he still has something to say, you know? And that's a weird example. Cause he's so old, <laughs> <laughs> but, but, uh, you know, I definitely think someone like that has something to say. Yeah, and like you know, it's it's cool to see people like you know Buffy Saint Marie. Yeah, like yeah. I think she's really the epitome of that. Like, kind of started off in the in the '60s wave and was doing like Cripple Creek on the mouth harp, mm-hmm. um, and and other like really cool stuff, and and has found a way like through Power in the Blood and stuff and other records has has found a way to continue to reinvent herself and make music that is interesting to her, mm-hmm. and you know, and to perform it in a way that she's passionate about, you know. I think, um, yeah, I, th- I think that artists can lose that when, when they rely too much on what people expect of them. Hmm. When we rely too much yeah. on what people expect what of us. Expect, yeah. You know. It's very interesting. Yeah. But it's, yeah. Hmm. We could uh, go on forever about this. Sure. Oh, yeah. Like, well, I mean, I, th- I think it's probably pretty good that you're like, you feel good about just moving forward in whichever way you feel good about Oh and yeah, that's, yeah. That's yeah. that's the way to do it. Um, you have much touring coming up, is that right? I do. Yeah. yeah. Where are you going? Um, so I am playing in Wakefield, Quebec. Right. Um, well, you spent I, some time, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I was actually I lived there for a long time. Awesome yeah. town. Great town. Love it. Um, I'm gonna be playing in Toronto at the Rivoli on the 20th. Cool. And um, I'm also playing in Halifax on the 25th. Nice. And beyond that, anything planned? Beyond that, go, yeah, I'm gonna. Uh, you gonna see where the record gonna, takes you? Yeah, I'm. I'm going to Europe in January and Great. May. Um, and you've done Europe before, right? I have. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so that's gonna be really fun. I'm touring with a. I'm touring as a trio now oh, with a lap steel and guitar player. Cool, Christine. You bringing her? I'm bringing somebody named Dan Rougeau, um, mm. and he's actually uh, kind of a quasi student of christine's she showed him her lap steel parts and cool and he's gonna play electric guitar too so i think he's he's pretty stoked on making the sound nice true to true yeah, to the record to the record yeah awesome yeah well have a great time out there thanks yeah 
thanks for doing this. Yeah, it was really fun. great to talk to you. Likewise. Yeah, and yeah. Congrats on a sweet record. Thanks, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's good to be back. Yeah, yeah, right on. Right on. Okay, well, uh, thanks for listening to the Southern Souls podcast. Episode number, we're not sure. I've been your host, Aaron Goldstein, coming to you from Baldwin Street Sound. Thanks what? to Mitch Fillion for doing all that he does and being Mr. Southern Souls. Tune in next time. <laughs> <laughs>